hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to his word proclaimed. What child was this, you ask? Yes. That is the question. That has always been the question. It was the single driving force behind our lengthy journey. We had to find out what child this was. My friends, I now know. I know this because of the lengthy journey we've been on. You see, we have been called wise by many who really have only briefly encountered us on our journey, and I hesitate to give their credence or judgment too much credence. It is known, or at least it should be known, that one best acquires wisdom by keeping one's eyes and ears open and one's mouth closed. So, my friends, I suggest to you to keep your eyes and ears open and your mouth closed while I clearly attempt to answer your question with these three points. One, finding that child was no accident. It was the discovery of a needle in a haystack. And how did we find that needle? Well, by following a star, which, by the way, in most people's minds was the errand of fools. But my friends, we are no fools, you see. This star was guided by some unseen force. And who can move stars but God? Second, we encountered that conniving king who wanted us to find this child so that he may worship him. Now I ask you, my friends, do kings worship children? No. No, they do not. Kings defend their thrones. And that king, that king Herod, is a cruel and a ruthless despot. And it does not take a wise man to discern that. You see, this king sees this child as an enemy. And let me tell you, my friends, this child is an enemy to the cruel and ruthless. And three... Three, I, I have no words for three. All my life I have searched. I've studied. I've tried to discern what is right, what is true. I've tried to own that for myself. But it's always just been beyond the horizon of my knowing. But then, in an instant, I crossed a threshold. And it was there. That father, that mother, that star, and the child. It was, after all those years, all of my study, it was right there. It was all there, and the child. What other choice that I have? To worship him. 
My friends, I need to search no more. Would you please pray with me? Oh God, we come to this season of Advent. We come searching. We come searching for the Christ child. And we hope and we pray that as we ask questions, as we try to see how that child changes our lives, that you allow our hearts be warm to the truth of what he has brought to us. So, Lord, we ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. You know, I have a uh, memory when I was in second grade. Uh, remember, I was in bed you know, before the alarm clock went off, or actually not alarm clock, I was in second grade, before mom and dad woke me up. And I had, uh, my mom came to my room about, it was about six o'clock in the morning. And she yelled at me and she said, Chris, you have six minutes to call KSKU. KSKU was the uh, radio station that was in town, and I uh, put my name in a drawing, and I won two tickets to a movie that was going to be showing in Hutchinson in late May. Well, I was excited about this. I mean, I, I, I said, I'm going to take my friend Mike, and Mom said, no, you're going to take your older brother Dave. Now, okay, fine, I'll take my brother to this movie. But it was the first time I've ever been to a midnight movie. And for a second grader to go to a midnight movie, that was just awesome. I was around all of these adults and teenagers waiting to get in line for this special event. We went into the uh, concession stand. We got our drinks. We got our popcorns. We sat down ready for this movie that took place a long time ago in a galaxy far away. <laughs> That's right. It was Empire Strikes Back. We got premiere tickets in Hutchinson, Kansas for this movie. And we all sat there and just enjoyed the, you know, the, the, the pageantry, all of the action, all of the excitement. And then this happened. Luke. You do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. That's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. I still remember when that scene happened, there was a huge gasp in the auditorium. 
people were blown away by this revelation that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, it came out in 1980. That shouldn't be a spoiler alert for anyone. <laughs> Over the next what, 37 years, that line has been a punchline. But, you know, the funny thing about that line is that people say it wrong. People equate it to, I, I think, the movie Tommy Boy is where it came back, where, where, uh, where um, what's his name? I was going to say John Candy, but um, uh, who? Chris Farley. Yeah, that's who it was. Uh, you know, he was sitting there looking at the fan. He was like, Luke, Luke, I am your father. You know, and, and, and people say that that was a lie, but that, no, that wasn't the line. That wasn't what Darth Vader said. He said, no, I am your father. Now, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. But what has happened in the past 37 years, we have made that line to what we wanted it to be. And unfortunately, I think we do that with Scripture sometimes. Sometimes we take scripture and we want to, to tame it. We, we want to calm it down a little bit. That way it's not as disturbing or not as nerve-wracking as it really is. For example, we have our passage here today about the wise men. We don't really equate the wise men just with the gifts and, and the visit and the star, but there is so much more happening with this passage that I hope that we are able to uncover this morning. So I invite, with you, invite you to uh, join with me as we go to the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12. Please follow along on the screen, or you may follow along in your Bibles if you have those with you. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod. Magi came from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote, You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent to the Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went and they looked. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy, and they entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. They opened their treasure chest and presented him with gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. 
Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This story comes in the second chapter of Matthew, and we look at it and we, we, we understand it for, for what it says. But to fully understand this passage, we have to understand why the Gospel of Matthew was written. See, the Gospel of Matthew was written about 88, 90 A.D., and it was written in Greek. And you notice that there was a, a, a scripture that I read in there that was a part of the Old Testament. Now, for the, uh, the math, book of Matthew to be written at that time, the, the scripture that was used was from the Greek Old Testament. It was the Old Testament that was translated from Hebrew into Greek called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was used mainly by those Jewish Christians who were spread out all over the world at that time. It was written so that they could be connected to their heritage. And if we take a look at the book of Matthew, it, it starts out with this really long list of names. It, it, it's, it's the genealogy of Jesus. It's that sometimes whenever you're trying to read the, through the Bible in the entire year, that's that part you kind of skim through really fast because we really have no idea what some of those names are. So they have that part there, and then they have other significant parts that are helping those Jewish Christians stay connected and point to them that Jesus is their Savior. But then we get to Matthew 2. And not only does, Jesus, does the scripture talk about Jesus and his genealogy and, and how Jesus is fulfilling the prophets, then we throw in some Gentiles. And I think probably those people who are reading the scripture at that time are going, wait a minute, what is this all about? No, Jesus is our Messiah. He's not their Messiah. He's our Messiah. He came to save and rescue us. But see, as we know, Jesus came to rescue us all. Later, as we get in more into the book of Matthew, Jesus comes across a woman from Canaanite. She has a daughter who is, is sick, and she comes to Jesus and asks for healing. And for this to happen, this, this was beyond what somebody, a Jewish rabbi, should do. And Jesus even looks at this woman and says, you know, why I, I have come for the people of Israel. Do we, do we throw scraps of food? Do we throw the food that we eat to dogs? And the woman, knowing what Jesus is ca capable of doing, she says, yes, but don't the dogs even get the scraps off of the table? And Jesus reminds those standing around him and says, see, this woman is wise because she knows that the Christ has come to save the whole world. 
this isn't the only time in the Gospels where we see Jesus come across this. When Jesus entered the wilderness and he returns back to his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus goes to the synagogue and he has the opportunity to open up the scriptures and read to those who were gathered together and he shared these prophetic words from the prophet Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. He says these words. He, he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If we move just a little bit past that verse, we see that those in the synagogue were excited because Jesus is, is, is proclaiming that all of them are going to be set free. But then Jesus twists the scripture here a little bit by bringing up two important characters to those Jewish followers at that time. He first starts talking about the prophet Elijah. And Elijah, in, in, in 1 Kings, he is on his way and he stops at a widow's home in Zipporah. Now, Zipporah is also a Gentile region. And he goes to this woman and asks for her to feed him. And the woman says, we barely have enough food to feed myself and my son. There's no way that I can give food to you. But Elijah says, you go ahead and make bread, and I promise you that God will take care of you, and you will have enough bread to take care of your family as well. Elijah stayed there for several days, and each day she baked and she cooked. And even though she had a very little amount, she never ran out. I could see as Jesus mentioned this to the listeners around him, they start getting a little uncomfortable. And then he goes and talks about the second important uh, prophet of the time, Elisha. Elisha was called in by Naaman, who was a, a ruler, a Syrian ruler. And, and Naaman had leprosy. And somebody told uh, Naaman that Elisha would be able to heal him of his disease. And Elijah gave him steps to follow. And after Naaman did these steps, he was healed and clean of his disease. After this story, the, the Jews were just livid that Jesus would share what Elijah and what Elijah did and how, how were they supposed to share their Messiah with someone else. The scripture goes on to say that they tried to gather Jesus up and take him up to a top of a high mountain and throw him over the edge, but Jesus was able to escape. I think that's a difficulty that we may have as followers of Christ sometimes. I think sometimes we think that the good news is for me. I think that's one of the dangers of, of this beautiful mystery we have about having a personal relationship with our Savior. When we have it personal, we, we hold it to ourselves, and, and we don't want to share it with others. 
to my question for us as we think about these wise men placed right in the middle of this birth narrative. These Gentiles who were from far, far away, how they were able to enter into this story. I wonder, is there someone that you may know that is an outcast? Is there someone that you may know who, who needs to hear about a God that loves them and cares for them, the God that desires for them to have that same faith-saving relationship as we have? See, it's all about generosity. It's about generosity, about how we are able to share something that God has given to us free and graciously. Now, we, as I said before, we know that we connect this story with the wise men, with the gifts that they bring, the gifts of gold, the gifts of frankincense, and the gifts of myrrh. These are gifts that the wealthiest of, of person in that time would only have. But these gifts also point out the great love that, that God has for us. You may be familiar with what each of those gifts represent. The gold represents that, that, that Jesus is king. The frankincense represents that, that Jesus has this priestly role, that, that we can go through Jesus to, to have this relationship with our God. And then the myrrh, which probably is a really disturbing gift to bring a newborn child, was something that was used during the embalming process or when somebody had passed away, they would, they would place this on them. To have those three gifts to signify the, the kingship, the, the relationship and, and, and the love that this baby has for us. No, Trace and I, we, I think we're done with Christmas shopping. We may have a, a no, we're not, we're not done with Christmas shopping yet. <laughs> you may not be done either, but I challenge you, during this Christmas season, is to find a way to not only just give to those whom you love and those whom you care for, but to find a way to save and to set a little extra aside to help those who are in need. I, I mentioned during the offering about our, our, our Crooked House ministry, our ministry that we have to help those who may need just a little bit of a hand up during a difficult time in their year. Just think about this idea. What if during this Christmas season, if, if you looked at the average that you spent for a family member, and you set a little bit aside and you earmarked it to help somebody else who may need some, some extra love this Christmas season. I invite you to think about, you know, instead of really going out and be all extravagant in, in all that you buy, what if you were to use some of that so that someone could be connected to the love and grace of Jesus Christ through a gift that will allow them to 
make sure their lights stay on for a month or, or make sure that they're not kicked out of their home. See, we are blessed through the extravagant love that God has given us through Jesus Christ that we can then extravagantly share that love with others. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, as we continue to move closer to the manger, we remember how you have redeemed the shepherds and you have set your son to be our shepherd, to follow, so that we may be led. We remember the wise men who came knowing that you are guiding them, who came knowing that they were coming to a place where a leader was threatened because of the love and grace given through a tiny baby. We pray that as we continue to move closer to the manger, that you allow us to see those who are on the outside, those who may need an opportunity to be connected with the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Help us to, to share that grace openly so that all may come and receive your love. So, Lord, we lift these things up to you. In your precious name, amen.